Hi, GVF. Glad you're here. Glad you made it this week. And a very happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there. So we are carrying on in the Gospel of John, and in the passage today, Jesus challenges us to stop giving our lives over to things that do not satisfy us and to trust him with what will ultimately satisfy our deepest hungers and our deepest thirsts. But we'll see in the passage, ironically enough, the crowds that hear this abandon Jesus. They would rather carry on chasing after the things that they know will ultimately not satisfy them. So then the passage ends poignantly with this question, what about you and what do you decide? So as we do every week, take a moment, take a breath, ask God's spirit to fill your mind and heart and to speak to you a fresh word today. And when you're ready, listen to the message. So it was 1997. And there we sat in this Denny's just outside of Springfield, Ohio. Me, my best friend, Steve. Steve and I had been best friends all through high school, and we both had our quirks. He was obsessed with getting women, and I was obsessed with getting straight A's. The only difference is, is that I usually got A's. He pretty much never got women. But things were different now. Um, We had both gone off to college, and our lives had gone in vastly different directions. It had been nine months since we had seriously talked, and since that time, I had, like, had this, really, my heart awakened by God. Just my life was radically changed in those nine months. Steve went a different route. So I leaned across this greasy table, and I'm talking to Steve, and he leans in, and, and he confesses to me, Paul... I'm living with a girl now. And I honestly didn't know whether to like laugh or cry. Like I, I couldn't imagine my friend Steve actually finding a woman willing to live with him. And, and he had been so driven all through high school by this one obsessive idea of like sleeping with girls um, that it was just something I was trying to wrap my mind around. So I leaned in and asked the question that any 19-year-old boy would want to know. What's it like? Is it everything you imagined? And Steve, I'll never forget his answer. He said to me, Paul, it's just like pleasing myself, except now I have to worry about pleasing someone else. And I was grieved for Steve. Like, I wondered, how could someone have so desired this thing, so chased this thing, so sought this thing for years and years of their life, only to find that when they get it, it's not what they were looking for. And as the conversation continued, I began to realize that it wasn't just sex. It was everything in Steve's life. He was deeply, deeply dissatisfied with everything. He had tried to go after everything that he had ever dreamed of in high school, and he got it, and it wasn't what he thought. And then at a particular low point, Steve finally leans into me and said, Paul, the only thing that stops me from hanging myself in our parents' barn is the thought of what my, it would do to my family. I was heartbroken. And I remember at that moment, like I'm sitting there across from this friend that I've known for years and years, and I love him, and, and I'm, I'm pleading with him, Steve, you don't have to live like this. 
Like Jesus wants to take your life. He wants to give you his life. You don't have to chase after these things that aren't going to please you. Jesus wants to take your suicidal, dissatisfied life and give you his life. Like I was tasting that at the time. I was experiencing that. And to my horror, Steve refused. All he could think about were the things that he'd have to give up if he gave his life to Christ. So Steve went home that day, and he went right back to the life that he hated. He went right back to chasing the things that he knew would never satisfy him. And it's been 23 years, but I've never like fully recovered from that conversation. Like It's always just stuck in my mind and really impacted me, I, partially just because I still, to this day, deeply love Steve. But but I'm not exactly sure why that conversation so bothers me. I mean, I've seen lots of people. I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus and seen them refuse Jesus. And I've watched a lot of people make terrible life decisions and go their own way. But here's, here's what I think why that impacted me so much. Because as I, as I think about what Steve's, Steve's response, I can kind of relate to it. Not that I've ever lived like Steve, but when he, in complete honesty, says to me, no, I don't want Jesus. I want to keep chasing these things that I know will never satisfy me rather than give my life to Jesus, I can kind of relate. I mean, if you ask me, like, um, do you really want to give your life to Jesus? I'll be like, yes, I think so, most of the time. But if I'm honest, like Steve is, at times I'm not always sure. Like, do I want to trust Jesus with my family? Do I want to trust Jesus to provide me the things that I want and the things my family needs? Do I want to trust Jesus with my health and with my career and with my life? Do I want to trust him with my dreams and desires? And the answer is yes, but I sometimes I'm not sure. And I think... What makes me so heartbroken isn't that I pity Steve or I look down on him. It's that it makes me look at my own heart and realize that same thing happens in my own heart. Today we come to this text, John chapter 6, and it gives me that Steve at Denny's feeling. Jesus reveals himself, exposes himself, totally shows himself to this huge crowd, tells them, I'm what you're looking for. Like, what you were really, stop going after those things that dissatisfy you. Stop giving your life to all those things. Come to me, be satisfied. Give me your life and I will give you true life. And the crowd, they all just refuse. And it's heartbreaking, not because the crowd there is so stupid or evil or foolish or we look down on them or pity them, but because the crowd forces us to look at our own hearts and realize that that same temptation, that same struggle is with us. And the question, the question that Jesus literally, literally turns and asks his disciples and asks us as we read that, those who want to follow him, at the end of this passage, the question that drives everything is this, what about you? What about you? Are you ready to give up on what you know you can't satisfy you to receive his life? And that's the question 
that John chapter 6 is going to ask us today. So we're in John chapter 6, verses 25 through the end of the chapter, and it's like just over 50 verses. I think it's 51 verses. It's a long, long section. So just to give you where we're headed, we're going to drop in and out of the text. We're going to skip over a few major movements to hit the, the, the big theme and not get lost in the details here. So here's the context. Early in the chapter, you might remember two weeks ago, a huge crowd shows up um, following Jesus to the middle of nowhere. And Jesus is like, hey, we should feed these people. How are we going to feed them? And this boy, they find this boy with five barley loaves, two fish. Jesus takes that and he multiplies the loaves and fish, feeds this crowd of 5,000. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. Then that evening, Jesus sends his disciples off on a boat. He goes off to pray. And then that night, the disciples are rowing, rowing the, 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 against the storm, the wind, and the waves over the water of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus walks on the water to catch up with them. The next morning hits and the crowd's like, where'd Jesus go? We saw his disciples take off, but where did he go? And now finally, they catch up with him and his disciples in a town called Capernaum, which is just up the coast there, um, Simon Peter's hometown. Uh, and the text for today starts in verse 25. It reads like this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they're in Capernaum now, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus is like, check your hearts. Check your motives right now. Consider what you're doing. The only reason you chased after me all the way up to Capernaum is because I filled your stomachs. You aren't looking for me. You're looking for bread. Verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus says, of course, okay. Jesus is using this, uh, this food language as a metaphor here. So you may recall, if you were here a couple weeks ago, that um, these people, these crowds would have spent 80 to 90% of their working lives just to pay for their food. Their annual income went functionally just to food. So there was no such thing as stress eating, no such thing as snacking or takeout there. Food was for them life. Food was what they worked for. It, it demanded their attention, directed their desires. Their whole lives were centered around food. And Jesus says this, don't work for food. Don't give your life to something that can spoil. Don't chase after things that you know will not ultimately satisfy you. Work for that which can't spoil, which you can't lose, something that will last forever. So a lot of you might be familiar with the missionary Jim Elliott. He, uh, early 1900s, went to the Alka Indians, South America, and he was killed by the very people that he was trying to bring the gospel to. Later, his wife and some friends went in and actually planted a church among the Alka Indians. It's an amazing, amazing story. But before Jim Elliott died, he wrote in his journal uh, a line that is now famous and kind of captures the spirit of what Jesus is saying here. He wrote this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what Jesus is saying to these crowds. That's what Jesus is saying to Steve and to us. 
He's pleading with us, don't give the best of your life, the best of your energy, the best of your strength to things that you know aren't going to satisfy you ultimately, that are going to fail you. Don't give your life to bread. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? They're like, okay, then what kind of work should we do? If we shouldn't be chasing after bread, what should we be doing? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work is to believe. So please understand this. When Jesus says this, he's not saying that you should do nothing with your life. He's not saying you shouldn't have any good works. Belief is not opposed to work. You might remember the line from James. He says, faith without works is dead. And the same John who wrote this gospel writes later in 1 John chapter 2, writes this, whoever says, I know him, as in I believe in him, I know God personally, I'm in a relationship with him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So get this, your ability to be a good person does not qualify you for God's love. Your ability to be good, the good works you do, will never, ever, ever qualify you for God's love. But if you claim to believe in him, if you claim to have experienced his love and your life isn't changed by him, John says something's wrong. So it's really important that we understand the order it's by believing that things shows is completed, completed in God's love. By believing, good works come out. But good works will never give you what you can have, you can only receive by belief. So Jesus is saying this. Let's put it in these terms. This, this is the heart of it. That where you're going to find um, the believing in him is the heart of it. That where you're going to find what you're seeking in life, the things that you um, should demand your attention, direct your life, all of that shouldn't be based on what you're working for. It shouldn't be based on bread, but can only be received as a gift. This is the gospel. This is gospel 101. The good news is that the bread you really want, the thing that you really want in life, your, your greatest desires... You can't achieve, that's the bad news, but the good news is that Jesus wants to give them as a gift. It is believing in him that he alone can lead you to what you're looking for, that there's nothing you can do on your own. That's where you actually find what your life is about. Verse 30, so they ask him, what signs will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, when they were out in the wilderness, through the leadership of Moses, they received bread from heaven, manna. And they're saying, hey, if you, you just gave us bread, maybe you're like Moses. If you can keep giving us bread to eat day after day, and we never actually have to work for it, we'd be happy to believe in you. Is that the sign you're going to give us? Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread that uh, is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Bread will not satisfy your deepest hunger. You've had bread before. You know how that goes. You've spent your whole lives chasing after bread, whatever that bread is. And how's that worked for you? Jesus says, stop chasing after bread. I am what you're looking for. I am the bread of life. Now, this this phrase is important. Let's uh, dig into this for a moment. If I'm going to lose you in this message, it's going to be in the next couple of minutes. So I need you to lean in just for a minute and listen to this. Follow follow this. In Exodus chapter 3, here's the backstory to the bread of life. In Exodus chapter 3, that Moses story, Moses leading the Israelites um, out of Egypt before all of that happens and feeds them the bread from heaven. Before that happens, Exodus chapter 3, Moses is a shepherd and he's out in the wilderness and he sees this burning bush. He goes up to check it out and he finds God shows up to him there and God says to him, go save my people. They're they're slaves in Egypt. Go save them. And Moses says, but if I go, who am I going to say sent me? Like, how will they know that I'm actually sent by you and who are you? And God says, famously, tell them I am sent you. In Hebrew, it's the personal name of God, Yahweh. In Greek, it's ego emi, I am. It's the personal name of God. Now here, in Greek, Jesus says, ego emi, the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now we could think, hey, I am. He could just be saying, I am the bread of life. Or he could be saying, I am, as in like, Yahweh, I am God the bread of life. How, how do we know the difference? Well, we would just think it's a normal I am the bread of life, except that seven different times in the Gospel of John, starting with this, this one time, Jesus will reveal who he is using the phrase ego and me, I am. So I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I'm the way, the truth, the life, on and on and on. And in John chapter 8, he actually goes and flat out says, before Abraham was, I am. As an absolute statement, he claims to be God. Here, Jesus is not just saying, I'm the bread of life. He's saying, I am, all caps. I am Yahweh. I'm God. I'm not just the one who can fulfill your hunger. I'm the one who created your hunger. I made you for me. I'm what you should be chasing after. I'm what you should be looking for. And he explains it in the next half of the verse. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I not only know your hunger, I made you to hunger for me. If we work for bread, our work will never end. Our hunger will always come back. We'll never be truly satisfied. We'll never have find true rest. But if we believe in Jesus, he says... We can find true rest. We can find true satisfaction. We can find what we're looking for. If we try and create meaning in our lives, if we try and create value in our lives, if we try and create our own security and protection, we'll never truly find it. But if we receive it, if we receive it as a gift from Jesus, if we believe in him and trust him for our security, for our worth, for our value, for our meaning, if we receive it as a gift, It can never be taken away. We can receive what we could never earn. That's the message. Verse 36. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. So he pleaded with him. Like, you can have my life. 
I'll take your dissatisfied lives. I'll take that. Give it to me and I will give you mine. Just turn to me. Give me your life and I'll give you, give you mine. But, 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 just like Steve, this crowd refuses. All they can think of is all the things they'd have to give up if they gave their lives to Christ. So the next section of the text here, if you have your text open, it's interesting because Jesus immediately goes from this place and then he tosses us into the deep end of the theological pool here. He drops this idea that theologians call irresistible grace in there. So irresistible grace traditionally understood is the belief that those who experience God's wooing, his beauty, his love, his kindness, if you experience it, you will ultimately be won over by it. That if God wants to chase you down, he will catch you. You cannot cannot outrun God. That's the idea, although some of us have tried to. This, this idea of irresistible grace is usually coupled with the idea of God's election, that he calls people, he, he chooses some people, and he chooses to pursue them. Um, God's election, you would define it briefly, the fact that the only, it's the fact that the only reason you can come to God is because God already picked you, he already selected you, he already chose you, he already started pursuing you. Jesus says, puts these ideas together in verse 37, we read it this way. He says, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So, shortly after this, Jesus then goes on to press this bread of life metaphor to its logical extreme. Uh, we read in verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. So, at least it since since the 1300s, there's been major, major debates over this text, and I don't pretend that we're going to solve all of those 700-year-old debates today. Um, the question is, how much does this text have to do with communion or the Eucharist, whatever you want to call that, breaking of bread, drinking of wine? Personally, I'm persuaded that this text has very little to do with communion and has almost everything to do with the fact that we need to depend on Jesus the way we depend on food and water, all right? Now, having said that, between irresistible grace and the debates over communion, there's a lot to discuss here, and I don't want to just completely jump over that, but I'm going to. Um, for the sake of time, we don't have time to go deep in this, and we will hit some of these themes later on in the text. If you've never wrestled with these ideas, I would encourage you to come back and really dive deep. But for today's purposes, we're going to set these aside and look at the main point. I, I don't want you to miss the main point of this text for these other ideas. Here's the main point. Regardless of how you take these subpoints, the main point is that Jesus just told the crowd, stop worrying about bread. Whatever your bread is, whatever that thing is that demands your attention and directs your life and the thing you've been pursuing to make yourself safe or valuable or worthy or approved or good or just happy, stop pursuing that. And he says, give it to me. Give me your life and I'll give you my life. I'll be your bread. That's the point. And when Jesus lays this offer out in the most clear way we've yet seen in the Gospel of John, 
The response is this, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It was too hard. You want me to give up pursuing the things I've so loved? Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And skipping to verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They they left. So Jesus reveals himself to this huge crowd. He, he lays it out there as clearly as he ever has. He says, stop giving your life to pursue those things that you know, you know, you know they're not going to satisfy you. You've been down that road. You know where it's going to end up. He lays it out as clearly as, as we've seen yet. Stop pursuing that. Let me be your bread. Stop chasing that. Let me be your satisfaction. Stop pursuing that life that you know is going to end well, you know how it's going to end. And let me give you my life. But they turn away. And this whole scene is heartbreaking. Not because the crowd's so stupid or so evil or so foolish, but because the crowd forces us to look at our own hearts. And just to drive this home, Jesus actually turns to his disciples He turns to us. He turns to those who are following him. And he says, verse 67, very pointedly, you do not want to leave too, do you? And it's a real question. The question is just as much for you and me today as it was for the disciples back then. And what about you? Like following Jesus means giving up your life so that you can have his life. But you have to make a choice. And it's not just a once and done. I wish it was. But it's a daily choice. Daily you have to pick up your cross and follow him over and over and over again that we are living sacrifices. We offer up our lives as living sacrifices. You're going to have to make this choice. You have to believe in him. Jesus is saying to us, I am, I am the only one who can truly satisfy you. So stop giving your life for that house I am your dream home in today's language. Stop giving your life for that career. I am your career. Stop giving your life for that degree. I am your degree. Stop giving your life for pleasure or entertainment. I am your pleasure. I am your entertainment. Stop giving your life to make your, make yourself into something. I am your life. I am your worth. I am your value. And here's the question. What about you? Are you ready to trust him? Do you believe so Simon Peter has what I think is just the best answer to this. It's just, it's so raw and sincere. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We got no place to go. We've been down that road before. We know where it leads. If we keep working for bread, we know where that leads. Then he goes on, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter doesn't give up everything to follow Jesus because he doesn't want anything. He gives up everything because he knows that only Jesus can give him what he really wants. 
Jesus is the bread of life. So as we close today, the question just hangs out there. Like, what about you? Have you come to an end of chasing things that you know aren't going to satisfy you? Have you come to an end of yourself? Have you come to an end of of chasing down these roads that aren't going to lead you to what you're ultimately looking for? For me, this is a question that I have to come back to again and again because even though I, yes, I want to give my life to Christ, I recognize over and over again they creep up on me. And if you're anything like me, it's time to come back to this question. So today, that's the question for us. Are you ready to once again just with Simon Peter, recognize the emptiness of pursuing life on your own, the emptiness of chasing the things that won't lead you to who you ultimately want to be, won't lead you to the life you ultimately want to live? Are you willing to let go and just believe, just trust Christ to fall into his arms, stop clinging to what you, you're hanging on to and fall into his arms? That's my prayer for you today. So my prayer specifically is that this passage, if you're not willing to let go, if you refuse this passage, my prayer is that this is super troubling to you, that it keeps you up at night, that it plagues you until you do let go. And for those of you who have let go or are ready to let go once again and just fall in the arms of Christ, I pray that this is just a moment of peace and rest and encouragement for you. And that's our message for today, John chapter 6. See you next week. Well, thanks again for joining us this week. We hope to see you next. Uh, Just one thing, if you are new, we have a digital connection card and we would love to hear from you or any of you that have a prayer request or would just like to be in touch. Just go to our website, gbf.church slash hello, and you can find the link there. Uh, I'm gonna end this week with this benediction from Psalm 107.9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So go in peace, keep well, and hope to see you next week.